everyone. This is episode 289 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I have James joined on this uh, Father's Day night by uh, Ryan, who is who is not a father, and Paul, who is. Uh, how's your guys' weekend been? It's been fine. Um, my my little community here does um, a like a festival, like a fair carnival thing downtown all weekend. Oh all yeah, yeah. Daisy days, and it's fine. But it is it, it does kind of make Father's Day a little more involved than a lot of us fathers would like. It, it comes with a 5K for the grownups and a 1K for the kids. I don't run, but I accompany people on the 1K. And like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's drinking outside, which is never bad. But like, it, it, there are just like the carny games, and there's a big slide that you slide down on these rugs that have definitely never been washed once. Oh. And they have the they have a fun house come through, and it takes everybody 15 seconds to get through it. And it's been through three years in a row, and every year there's a piece that doesn't work right, and it's hard to keep track of where everybody is. So yeah, it's fine, but I could do I could do without Daisy Days personally. But you know, I hope hope everybody else had fun. Yeah, I think you probably had more fun doing that than I did going to Minnesota this week. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that because actually everything about that trip is great. Like, I love the light rail situation. We were able to, <laughs> yeah, we were able yeah. to stay at a hotel that was like a mile away from the, uh, actually probably more like a couple miles away. We were over in the university, so I don't know exactly how yeah. far that is, but we were, we stayed in the university, jumped on the light rail right outside of our hotel door, took it down right to the door of the stadium. And it was pretty perfect for that purpose. Like, absolutely great. Um, the games, you know, that most of that Tuesday night game was pretty good. I had a lot of fun there. Yeah. Um, right up until the end there. Right yeah. up until the end when Devin Williams went. Like, did you catch somebody said that was the worst game he's had as a uh, in his MLB career? That was the worst. I believe it. He like, did record it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah four yeah. runs, no outs. Easily. Yeah. So that was his worst game. And then... Um, Wednesday was just a typical uh, this year's Brewers when you get a bad game where like the offense just isn't doing much and they just kind of get shut down and Bailey Ober was fine but not like that great and whatever. It, it, so yeah, that was that was not great. But like the stadium is cool, Paul. You're 100 percent right. It's, it's a good stadium. It's a good stadium. It's my favorite one that I've been to for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I really like it. It's a good stadium. I had been there before, but Amy hadn't. So we uh, we get to go around and look at all the different parts of it and really walk around, especially before the uh, the second game. But yeah, uh, it was pretty awful. It was that was not great. <laughs> like the especially when you get to that sixth loss, it's like oh, this is this is really crappy. This is really un- unpleasant. Yeah, and and the variety of losses too, like we talked about, that was something else too. It wasn't just run of the mill crappy mm-hmm. offense stuff. You had you had some heartbreakers in there, but things got better, and we're gonna talk about that. So, some questions <laughs> about that before we get started. As always, a reminder: you can help support us. Become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees you get your questions answered both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible. Five bucks. That gets you the question of priority plus the additional exclusive podcasts, including the Minor League Extra with Ryan and James Anderson for Rotowire, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. So, <laughs> as we mentioned, uh, this week kind of started how the last one ended. We recorded last week after getting swept by the Oakland A's and uh, all that stuff. I still can't believe that happened. No longer the worst team in baseball. 
No, no, no. Good on you, Kansas City, and, and uh, good on you for the Brewers for helping that happen. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, we directly contributed to both ends of that, making the A's yes. better and Kansas City worse. Yep. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, Ryan talked about his miserable couple of losses he witnessed there in Minnesota uh, against the Twins before they came back home, and then they turned around and swept the Pirates, retook first place in the division. Uh, and now they are just a half game again uh, ahead of the surging Cincinnati Reds, who are still on fire post Ellie De La Cruz promotion. So I, I guess before we get to the questions, let's just start with this. How confident are you guys that the Brewers can kind of hold on to this slim lead in the division now that they've got it? And I guess how would you rate the various challengers in the division at this point? So. Uh, Paul, are, are the Reds scary or are the Brewers still kind of the best team? How are you feeling? About I'm not confident in the Brewers at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I think anybody who is is silly, but I'm not confident in the rest of the division either. So um, I think the, the Reds are the scariest team now because we kind of saw what they were pre-Ellie, which was bad. Uh, they were like a negative 34 run differential. Um, but he's just so good. <laughs> he's it's like adding like a six or seven win player to your team. And, you know, when, when you were at negative 34 and you had six wins to your team, that's pretty substantial. He, uh, he's, he's quite good. So I think that he makes them quite scary. And, you know, everybody was kind of the same, and they added the equivalent of one of the best players in baseball so far. <laughs> and he's a good enough prospect that he might keep that up to some extent. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely the scariest team. Like Pittsburgh, very flawed. I actually saw them at Wrigley the other day before the, the Brewer series. Um, the, the Cubs are kind of weird because they actually have the best run differential but they're still they're still problematic too um but like cincinnati like i feel like they were already frisky and then they went and materially improved so if i had to pick one right now i actually would pick them to win the division you would pick the reds to win the division i would i pick the reds to win the division you can get a really good price on that right now i think it's like plus 600 for the reds to win the division right now plus 500 plus 600 which seems That's fine it seems low <laughs> Like that seems like like really good odds, right? Like you the 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 Reds should not be getting odds that are that good. But I still, I mean, okay. So looking at this, uh, both Fangraphs and Pakoda still have the Reds. So they have the Reds finishing in fourth in the case of Pakoda, and in the case of uh, Zips, they have the Reds finishing last. And I think that this is one of those cases of don't judge a team during their best run or their worst run because you're likely to end up like overplaying what that is. I, I still think this Reds team. So the problems with the Reds team are, number one, they're relying on so many rookies like and, and young players like up and down the roster. They're relying on those guys to continue to be good. And we haven't even seen the league adjust to Ellie. Uh, somebody actually pointed out to me, I was talking to my friend this afternoon, he's like, the league already seems to be adjusting back to Matt McClain. So, like, that already seems to be happening. And the Reds just don't have... Out his name is Matt McClain and not Matt McCain, so that's a good start. <laughs> um, yeah, I have him in a Dynasty League, so I remember that. Yes. Um, but, like, and then just, they do have, they have talent in the rotation, but they also have a lot of questions and guys who have, like, not proven that they can even handle a 100-inning season, let alone trying to get up to, like, 250, 175. Like, where is Hunter Green even going to be when we're in August, September? Like, is that even 
what what is going to be going on with that situation. There's just so many questions and the roster. The thing was they they were not constructed to win this year, so they like the Reds roster depth is not very good after sort of their top guys, and so what they're going to be relying on is more call ups, right? They're going to be relying on, and they do have some guys to call up. That is mm-hmm. absolutely true. They do have some reinforcements, but there's always the question of like, okay, so you call up rookies. What are you going to get? And then what is going to happen when the league starts to adjust to them? And we've seen that 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 process of adjusting to players and adjusting to rookies happens faster now than it used to. It seemed like sometimes in the past it would take like a season, a season and a half for the league to sort of figure out, oh, this is how we're going to like get this guy and and make him not work. Uh, now it's like it, it happens within weeks where all of a sudden like the league has exposed remember how fast it happened for joey weimer at the beginning of the season where people were like oh this dude cannot hit breaking pitches so all of a sudden the league just started throwing him nothing but breaking pitches and so then he had to start adjusting to the fact that he was going to see a lot of breaking pitches and had to figure out how he could get fastballs that he was going to hit and try to figure out what to do so i think there's going to be a lot of adjustment on that front for the reds um i don't love the brewers i mean you're looking at right now Fangraphs has them at 82.8 wins projected yeah. for the season um, but that is a full basically five wins uh actually that's a full six wins they have the cardinals at 77 wins in second place hmm. um oh I actually like i take that back yeah. uh the cubs I don't know why they oh it's the world series odds that's why they have the uh they have the cubs at 77.8 and then they have the Reds at 77.2 and the Pirates at 76.7. So, wow. they ba- <laughs> All of those teams, they have within about a win, about five wins behind where they have the Brewers. And that's yeah, fan it, graphs. It's a bunch of crap, but mm-hmm. one of the crap pieces added a really good player. So that's, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. No, I, I get that. And, like, Ellie is exciting and is the best thing that's happened to the Reds since Joey Votto, right? Like, the, pretty clearly... Um, I wonder how they're going to decide that they hate him like they decided they hated Joey Votto. Looking forward to that. Figure out a way to <laughs> to see that uh, that process through. Oh, yeah, I, they'll make it happen. I still will never, ever forget how I had three. When I was at a game, a Reds game in Cincinnati in 2016, three different conversations like to my front left, to my right and like behind me and like. I could hear three separate conversations about how much they hated Joey Votto. And he had just gone to the all-star game and uh, had, I don't know, like he was, he was still good Joey Votto and it was fine. And they were talking about how much they hated him because he was paid too much. Like three separate conversations going on around me about how much they hated Joey Votto. It was just, it's, and it was because Brenneman spent. Yeah. His, that's the Brenneman effect. His yeah, entire totally. time just ragging on him. Um, but anyway, that's all beside the point. Like, it is a pile of crap, but like both Pakoda and Fangraphs seem to have the Brewers not just on top of the pile of crap, but like well, well above the pile of crap. Like they're levitating above the pile of crap. Seems to be like the the general opinion king, here. King king of the pile of crap. Yeah, that's that's the Brewers. I'll put that on a t shirt too. All right, um, I guess. Speaking of the division, uh, our first Patreon question this week comes from Price Trozen, who is asking, what kind of Scylla and Charybdis hell is this trade deadline with the NL Central being intensely average to stinky this year? Are there going to be any Brewer splashes or just the good old sign or reliever deadline? P.S. It's almost Freilich time, baby. 
Uh, so Ryan, let's start with you, I guess, given this pile of crap, as you so eloquently put it, uh, what the hell do the Brewers do in a, about a month as we approach the trade deadline? Well, I think that really is going to depend on where they are in the standings and how things are, are looking, right? Like that's, that's going to depend a lot on that, how aggressive they get. Uh, I, I sort of doubt that they're going to be too aggressive in any case, I think it'll be more than just like sign a reliever, like, you know, trading for a reliever. Uh, they've rarely just done that. Like last year was sort of a weird one where they they swapped out. They brought in three relievers and got rid of Hader and did, you know, sort of that thing. Um, and it, you know, like, but that was pretty odd. Like in 2021, they were really, really aggressive when they were on the division lead in uh, especially like leading up to it, getting Adamus and getting uh, not just Vogelbach or sorry, not just uh, um, Telez, but also Vogelbach. So they added all those guys. And then at the deadline itself, they added Eduardo Escobar and some relievers too, who I think weren't very good. Was that when they added, oh, they definitely added Daniel Norris at that deadline. Um, it was Norris and um, John Curtis who promptly blew out his UCL. Right. Yeah. It was Curtis who got hurt. Yep. So they they did like multiple things there. I think it's probably going to be fairly restrained. I don't know how crazy they'll get unless they find a situation where uh, there is a player out there that they can keep for more than one year. I, I think if they're going to add, they're probably going to add for multiple years, right? Like if that's if that's what the the uh, the availability is, and they find a guy that they like who can do that, um, that's probably the most impact sort of player they would get. I would find it hard to believe they would trade a lot of current assets and future sorry future assets really like trade away a bunch of uh future talent to just rent a guy that doesn't seem to be like something they would do at all with this roster does it no not, not really, not really and, no and also the free agent class for next off season is uh also stinky so <laughs> not great all true i mean i i i agree with most of that I, if i do if i did have to bet i would bet that it's going to be too close to do anything too rash and so you, you will get kind of just the receiver thing and not the multiplayer position player upgrade norm but any thing with the brewers is anything's kind of possible on that front it just kind of depends on who's available and you know what kind of value you can get um but but i don't think they'll be in like really solid so- selling or buying mode they'll just be on hunting mode for for value so that that's how they roll, and that's how they're going to keep doing it. And, uh, it'll be it'll be granky. Just just wait. <laughs> uh, and we should talk about the fact that Sal Freilich, uh, I think he was five for eleven in his first three games with three walks, a home run, a double, uh, like a couple stolen bases, bunch of runs, bunch of RBIs. Uh, that's about as good a start as you could possibly hope for from him. You want to see that he's healthy, that that thumb is healthy, and that uh, he's ready to go. I think we're probably going to see Sal Freilich, uh maybe by the next time we pod. I think it, it's going to happen relatively quickly. Uh, Remel Tapia did hit that ball almost out today, and that was almost a grand slam. So close. Not a grand slam. Yeah. <laughs> like he <laughs> did, he, Edwin Masonette moment. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he legit put a charge into that ball, but I think we know. Uh, it was your, your buddy Archon said that like there is a very long track record of Remel Tapia being like not a good baseball player. Yes, sir. So, How about Macy's still in the league? Yeah, <laughs> honestly. 
Um, all right, I guess on the topic of what the the strategy should be going into the trade deadline, Lucroy's suitcase has a question here that right I think kind of addresses something that you were kind of polling people on Twitter earlier this week about. So the question here is: as we approach the trade deadline. Do you think the front office will focus more on win percentage or games back in the division to determine whether to buy or sell? Would it be better to trade for a mini rebuild or hold? So, Ryan, I know you were trying to to pull the audience a little bit earlier this week, saying it's kind of like a Rosar stress <laughs> of like how you feel about the, the 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 state of the franchise, right? Yeah, and actually, I was kind of going for something a little bit different with that, and kind of thinking like. Um, Given that their good players have mostly been kind of bad uh, to you know, like not impactful, Woodruff's been hurt. Burns has been you know, very middling for for his standard. Um, Willie Adams has had you know his worst run since he became a Brewer uh, over these these few months here. Uh, it, there's almost this idea where like if they had traded those guys already, we actually have a question coming up about this. Like how different would this team be right now? If those, if none of those three guys were on that, the team right now, you, you almost feel like it wouldn't be that different. So there's part of me almost thinks that like, there's like a temptation to say, okay, well we can be mediocre and middling without those guys. Well, what could we get for them and then make a, a, a move like that. But I just think it's really, really hard to do something like that, it's going to be really hard uh, just from a PR standpoint, especially when you're in yeah. the middle of trying to get taxpayers to give you $400 million. Like the timing of this for them, like is kind of perfectly bad. If, if they wanted to do that sort of a reset and be like, Hey, we can, we can do a quick reboot and reset here and get ourselves looking significantly better for the future. Um, yeah, but the PR cost of that would be, especially if they stay up on the division lead, uh, the PR cost of it would just be like nightmarish, right? Like if you were to trade one of the big three right now. If they trade Corbett Burns in first place a year after they traded Josh Hader when they were in first place. Right. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. I, I did see some speculating on, I think, on that thread actually about this that. Um, people saying, you know, they could do that and still like back into winning the division. Like they could sell off your, just like what you said, they could sell off all their assets and still do it. It's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, like philosoph- just to, to get back to the question, um, I'm not sure that it, the distinction between um, games back and win percentage is going to be significant enough that they're going to have to pick one in the first place. Like it, unless they jump out to some giant games lead, like we're not going to have to make that determination about like are they frauds? Like that's not going to happen. <laughs> and uh, they're they're going to be like a close to even run differential. Like zero, like they're negative fifteen or something right now, and they're going to be about five hundred. This isn't going to be one of those out of whack things. So the team's just going to um, they'll have a good idea what the team really is and what the rest of the division really is, and they're just going to have to kind of wing it. Like it, the whole division is very closely aligned and it's going to be more gut than math. I don't think that they're going to have any any secrets in the background that tell them any more about this team than we don't know about already. Yeah, I think it's all kind of out there on the page, especially if you look at the like the Fangraphs World Series odds and yeah. go, yeah, right now the Brewers are leading the division. Uh, in terms of World Series odds, at one point nine percent. One point, yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not There's dealing with the twenty. 
We're not dealing with the 2022 Vikings here where they won 13 games but are objectively terrible. That's not this. This is an average <laughs> team that's playing like an average team in a crap division where they maybe will luck into something. Yeah, I mean, they're giving the entire division about 3% chance to win the World Series this year. So uh, then again, you probably would have said the same thing in 2006 when the Cardinals ended up winning 83 games and the World Series. Yeah, so, but they're the Cardinals and we're not. Yeah, they're the Cardinals and we're not. Uh, you can go back further. Like the 87 <laughs> Twins were negative run differential and won the World Series. Like, true, true. You could find Against examples. the Cardinals. Wait, wait, is that the Cardinals or the Braves, actually? No, those Cardinals. No, the Braves were trash at that point. That was, yeah, yeah, the Braves one was 91. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, like the division is crappy, but the Brewers are, all the projection systems agree, the Brewers are clearly the best team amongst this group. So like, I think in some ways that does tie their hands for what they're going to do, because how much worse could it really how how bad could it actually get at the deadline where the Brewers wouldn't be uh, a favorite to win this division? It almost seems really hard to fathom when you're right now. They're projected like six games in front of, you know, anybody else in the division. How yep. far could you actually fall before the trade deadline where you're still not going to be the favorite in the division? Uh, you might not be winning the division, but how far would you have to fall to not be the favorite? It, it seems like it would be a pretty big tumble that would be required. Well, along that line, uh, Devin Berwolf has a question here asking, how bad of a record do the Brewers have to have where it would be irresponsible, regardless of their position in the division, to not have conversations on trading all players not in their long-term plans? So... I guess, Paul, how, how far back or how bad would they have to fall where they need to start having that conversation? So I think they need to be pretty significantly back to actually like do a full sell-off. Uh, like I think if you think about how the Cardinals are right now, they're like eight back, but they're not really out of it, out of it. It's not good. They look bad. They, they don't look like their normal Cardinal selves, but the division's bad enough that a hot run gets you right back in it. Um, so to actually be like seller seller mode, I think you need to be double digits minimum with a pretty significant, uh, deficiency in your run differential too. Like you need to be clearly out of it. And, uh, it's hard to be clearly out of the NL central. It's very difficult. You'd have to go on some kind of all time tank job at this point, but it's not binary either. Like if you're down, you can move a few pieces and still plausibly get back into it. And you can kind of slow play trades and keep some of your studs around and, um, try and make marginal future improvements and still be fine. Um, but you know, if you're looking for that full sell-off, I, I think they can't afford to do it PR-wise unless they are clearly a bad team, which seems unlikely. Yeah, they would have to be so far back, and I just don't see like to get that far back. You would have to have both somebody get really hot and you get really really cold. Which I suppose that's all possible, but the somebody else getting really really hot thing uh the team that seems most likely to get hot and go on a run is the brewers like they're the ones that that have the most balanced roster to be able to like potentially do this and it's not any of the other teams in the division so like i I just yeah it's it's very hard to imagine that there would be a situation where they're far enough back to really really sell and as much fun as i was having like looking at true sell trades uh on the Thursday off day after, you know, the six game losing streak. Uh, 
there was always sort of a recognition that like this is just so not likely to happen because the circumstances are just really, really bad for it to happen. It just would not likely happen. And I think a big part of why people wanted it to happen and there was all this talk of it happening would be because then it's like the team would be giving permission to give up and you could just be as a fan like, okay, they're giving up so I'm not going to pay attention anymore so I can just give up on this and be done and just have that like emotional closure to it. And I think there is like a... uh, there's a there's an appeal to that to just be like, OK, you make it very clear to me that you suck and that you're done. But as long as they keep doing this thing where they like go out and win games like they did this weekend, uh, it's going to be very hard for people to just like be done with the team, because as long as they're still kind of close to being in front, it, it's hard to do anything that would definitively like be a sell off move. So it, they, I think we're just going to be stuck in this limbo for the rest of the season, unless they do actually get hot and kind of run away, which I think is still possible. I don't know how likely it is, but it's still possible that they do actually do that because they are the most talented team in the division. As frustrating as they may be, and as many times as people want to post the uh, Larry David F you and I'll see you tomorrow meme, that's, uh, yeah, that's the Brewers in a nutshell so far this year. All right, uh, let's shift away from the trade deadline talk, talk more about the, I guess, continued offensive woes, at least uh, when it comes to some of the big name players that were kind of counted on to produce. Ryan, as you mentioned, Bob Peterson has a question here asking how much longer is Willie Adamas going to be used at the top of the lineup? It seems that even though Craig Council has been more willing to tinker with the lineup this year, he has kept Willie firmly entrenched in the second or third spots. He has never been all that productive this year, and given his struggles since coming off the injured list, wouldn't it be better for him to hit his way out of the slump further down the lineup? So... Um, I know, you know, lineup order, Paul, I guess is not a thing we really concern ourselves with, but, uh, you know, Willie is kind of considered one of those anchor bats and he hasn't really been hitting like that for a while. Yeah, he's, he's obviously having a really rough year, but, um, the, the lineup thing is, it just doesn't really matter that much. And it, it it's better to probably have him be comfortable. Now, at some point you, you shift on that, um, and you, you know, you got to shake things up if he doesn't snap out of anything. But um, if you if he is comfortable in his spot, like you're still gonna have his glove out there, he's still gonna play every day, and uh, you don't want to start something else by moving him down. Now you know maybe maybe you do at some point, but it, it's just not something that you should really concern yourself with because it's like point one wins a year on optimal versus suboptimal lineup, and just not that big a deal. But yeah, he he's been rough. His stats are all really really rough. Um, we always make fun of Owen Miller's um, exit velocity on Twitter because it's hilarious. But Willie's only at 10, <laughs> which is 10 times better than Owen Miller, but that's still not good. Um, and, you know, that's especially bad for him. Contact's never been really a strong suit, but usually when he's made contact with the ball, he's at least rocketed the heck out of it. Um, it it's, it's really nothing's working for him right now um, in terms of contact or power or anything else. So, um he could go and he needs to spend some time in the cage, but uh, moving him down, just, it's not a big deal unless he requests it. <laughs> yeah. And there's also just the matter of like giving him more plate appearances to try to work his way out of this is probably also a good idea because frankly, you're in a situation where you need Willie Adamas to be good for this team to 
be good. Like that's that's the project here, right? If if the goal is still to become a good team in 2023, Willie Adamas is going to need to play better than what he is. So you need to try to figure out what it is going to take to accomplish that. Um, as opposed to trying to cut your losses, right? Like this is, uh, we we all know there's a lot of deficiencies on this team and that there's lots of things that have gone wrong, uh, especially on the injury front. But like Willie is going, if if you're going to have a good season, if this is ultimately going to work out for you, Willie Adamas is almost certainly going to just have to be really, really good down the stretch and to be a big part of that. And I think it's reasonable to think that that could happen here. Um, one of the things that's interesting about his his lineup or his his slash line is if you look at what it is, it's really just it's the batting average is low and it's dragging everything else down with it. Um, you, you look at it, it's 200, 285, 364 right now because he does have the the 10 home runs and a reasonable amount of I don't know the actual number of doubles, but obviously seven. seven. And we'll we'll today. Yeah. OK, so. Um, yeah, so like the having the the splits that he does, the difference, the distance between his batting average and his uh between the batting average, the on base and the slugging, this isn't like a Jesse Winker situation where it's like, well, he's just not hitting for any power and that's causing uh, the huge problem here. Really the problem here is that Adamus isn't the batting average is low and part of that is obviously like in that situation the BABIP is going to be low. But it's really he Willie Adamas for his career is a 316 batting average on ball and play player. Uh, this year it's 236. Yeah. And his heart hit percentage is way down. Um, the last four years it's been well above 40%, and it's 33.5 this year. So he's coming by that bab up kind of honestly. He needs to hit the ball harder. Like you're going to have to hit the ball harder, but there's also a. I'd almost say it's luck. There's there's something else going on here too because he still has the ten home runs. That's the weird part of this. Isn't well, his it? launch like, angle is good. Like he he has his normal Willie launch angle, so he's elevating it, and that'll get you. You know that'll get the ball out of the yard a fair amount of times. Yeah, but, uh, that that is the thing. Like even though he's not hitting the ball hard, he does have the ten home runs. So it's kind of like there there's something something is not quite right here. And uh, well, a friend of mine, the guy I was talking to. I'm talking about earlier we were discussing that he just doesn't look like he's quite right he they actually mentioned this on the broadcast today that he really is pulling off the ball right now he's just really really everything he's doing is like trying to yank it and I don't know um you know what if anything this has to do with him getting hurt and where he was but he doesn't seem to have quite I was I was cautiously optimistic when he hits a home run in like his first game back oh okay we're we're getting good Willie Adamas back and then he's been really really bad since and I something about this just isn't adding up for me and I'm not quite sure what it is but there seems to be a lot of things that are good underlying here along with you like you're pointing out the the hard hit percentages being down I'm not sure what exactly to make of that um and he's also what's his strikeout rate down to at this point i had uh scrolled down looking at, at pitch splits. oh sorry oh, i have it he's at 26.4 percent yeah. for the year he was at 26.9 last year yep he was not bad so yes yeah, so the strikeout rate is not any different than it was last year so that's not really the issue um i know he's swinging a little bit more outside the zone i did see that he's up to 
uh, like 45% th- there, or no. He's been quite a bit worse on breaking balls generally, and he is pulling the ball a lot more. Um, hmm. His oppo pull splits are way out of whack from what they usually are. So we need him and like Christian Yelich to like switch bodies or brains. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like there needs to be some sort of a meld here where we'll give you some of Willie can have some of uh, uh, Christian's oh yeah. opposite field thing and Yelich can have some of Willie's pull and then we will have the optimal baseball players again. Yep. Yeah. It, it's hard to say too, if like any of the like off field stuff, like, say contract extension talks or whatever might be weighing into him or he's tried to pull to hit more home runs for a bigger you know like that kind of stuff too it's impossible for us to know uh but yeah it's pretty clear he has not been the same player for for quite a while now um let's shift gears right now if, if we could uh to the pitching so brad westness has a question here about one of the silver linings that we've seen lately even with the losses um so Brad's question is the silver lining of all the injury woes seems to be that it forced them to go out and find a diamond in the rough in Julio Tehran. Is it wishful thinking or is the starting rotation actually going to be legitimately good once Woodruff comes back? Assuming some combination of Hauser, Lauer and Ray wind up in the bullpen. It seems like the depth problems there will be uh, mostly addressed too. or am I dreaming? So um, I know it's been mentioned that, uh, you know, with Wade Miley back, that Adrian Hauser is already kind of being considered moved back to the bullpen. So I guess maybe that's one way, Ryan, to shore up the middle relief there. But uh, what do you think about Julio Tehran and kind of adding depth in an unusual way here? Yeah, this is a really bizarre thing. And I want to stick by what I have been saying, which is don't believe any of this. It's all it's not real. It's yeah, not smoke and mirrors. It's, Certainly yeah. not to this extent. Right. And that's that's the thing. But I uh, running you guys, the risk. You guys saw the Heron stat, right? In oh, which one is five, this? That um, for his first five starts of like the year, he has the lowest ER, like the fifth lowest ERA ever of any, of any, any pitcher's first five starts of a year. <laughs> yeah, that uh, it, it's crazy. And he's obviously way, way, a 178 ERA. Like this is considerably better than anybody should expect from him. But I I gotta say, like the FIP is 373. The expected ERA is 317. Part of what he's doing here is he's not walking anybody. And as long as that remains the case, uh his his walk percentage right now is um 3.6%, which is just absurdly, obscenely low. Like that's that's Greg Maddox like stuff. Sheets Sheetsian, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, it's yeah. I mean, it's just it's absurd. Yeah. yeah. He's doing insane amounts of, of things there. And even though he's not striking out that many batters, he is the the difference between the strikeouts and the walks is he's got a a a, a K minus base on ball percent, uh, which is a stat that uh, they use over at Fangraphs, 14.5%. It's really pretty good. Uh, and that's what's driving, obviously, the the FIP being a 373, the expected ERA being 313. Like, So he's, he's clearly above what he should be expected to do. And there is regression coming here, no <laughs> doubt. But I think that we probably are at a point where you could say you could do a lot worse than him as your fifth starter, right? And feel yeah. okay about that. I think the important thing with Taron is uh, we we always f- 
focus as the stat people we are on what pitchers can control, you know, the FIP stats. And um, in modern baseball, you can get yourself into trouble with a guy who gives up too much contact. The thing is, if you keep guys off the bases and you have the Brewers defense in back of you, then that equation works a lot better. Like if you Mm -hmm. have an average MLB defense behind you or a bad one, you can't be this. It doesn't work at all. And, you know, that's not really that's not the pitcher's fault either. <laughs> it, his, the defense behind him isn't his fault, but when it's good, you can lean into it with a guy like Taron. And uh, the Brewers are bad at offense. Their pitching is kind of mediocre, but they are still very good at turning balls and planned outs. And it, it just plays to his strengths. So, yeah, he's going to come back to earth because balls are going to start flying out more, and um, this is absurd. <laughs> but this is the kind of guy who can have some success with the Brewers for at least a decent period of time. It's it's a smart signing for what they have. Yeah, and the other thing here is uh, I, last time we were talking about him, I don't believe they had started to uh, – he had enough uh, sample yet for StatCast to give you like hard hit percentage percentiles and everything. Looking at it now – He's in the 84th percentile for it's hard good. hit percentage. Generated. It's really good, yeah. And that is, if you're going to be what he is, which is a guy who generates a lot of contact, like guys are putting the ball in play because he's not striking people out, that's what you want to see. You want to see guys that are not hitting the ball hard on him. And so that part of it is pretty encouraging. So um, I, I still have to say, like, don't expect that there's going to be regression coming. He's going to get his head handed to him. He's probably going to have multiple bad outings in a row here at some point. But again, you can do a lot worse than this for a, a back end of the rotation starter. And I think, like, to his point, when you start talking about Woodruff potentially coming back and Wade Miley is already there and uh, Hauser's been moved to the bullpen, Colin Ray, I think, is down in AAA. Uh, this is starting to look like this is the kind of good rotation you were hoping you could have if you can get sort of all your ducks lined up in a row here. Um, Burns has been a little bit better, I think, uh, over the last month than he was before that. So his numbers are coming down and he's getting a little bit better, uh, at least in terms of the run prevention stuff. He's still not missing bats the way that he used to, and that's concerning, but Again, with the Brewers' defense, he doesn't necessarily have to miss bats at an elite, elite level to still be good, though he has more of a home run problem than some other guys do. So that that does cause issues for him sometimes as well, because he yeah. can he can give up dingers in a way that some of these other guys don't. But yeah, this is this was supposed to be the strength of the team. And it's just Julio Terran is a guy that we weren't expecting to be part of that, but you know, <laughs> he he has added to it. And it does sort of give you I have relative confidence when the Brewers do have to go through this transition over the next few years where they're getting rid of and losing these uh, stalwart starters that they've had in this last generation of players, that they're going to be able to do things to find players because this isn't the first time they've been able to do this. They've done this in the the Stearns-Arnold era. Um, Wade Miley was this guy in 2018, right? Like it was almost the exact same kind of situation. Wade Miley had largely yeah. played himself out of the big leagues. And when the Brewers brought him in, it was like, oh yeah, there's no way this is going to work. And then, you know, he was just solid for actually a number of years after that when he was healthy. And, you know, you can look at, uh, so Miley, Jordan Lyles would be an example of this. Um, even like, you know, Colin Ray to an extent, like they were able to get useful innings out of him uh, 
this way. Like they have sort of a skill here and it will, I think remain somewhat sticky in terms of it being repeatable, especially as long as the defense is good. And that's seems to be sort of a priority here going forward is they're going to have really good defenses um, to build around. So you can, you can sort of take all of that and look at it and go, this, this seems to be sort of a, a plan. And actually we have a question coming up about that. So I'll, I'll save more yeah. for that for later. Yeah, I, I guess on the uh, topic of moving beyond the current era of Brewers pitchers, Mark Podscarby is asking here, did Matt Arnold make a mistake in not trading the big three this past offseason? It seems that all three of their trade values have taken a significant hit in the recent months, and I'm not sure the team would be in substantially different place in the standings had they dealt all three of them. So, Paul, we kind of talked about this. Uh, did they kind of miss the boat on the maximizing, I guess, the return? Uh, I mean, technically speaking, probably yes. And uh, that's not just a function of them declining. It's also a function of them having more control and things like that. Uh, but you also do benefit from like they should be on the team and they should be healthy and they should be performing. And if you're going to go, if you're going to make a run at a serious actual title and not be part of the garbage of the central, the, that equation involves Burns and Woodruff being actually good players and, doing that so um you know yes hindsight's 2020 but they correctly assessed that they're in good position to win this division <laughs> and decided to roll with their stars as a result so you can't just look back and say selling was a good idea in the past they're still contenders they just are so i bought ootp 24 this week I had waited until the school year was done and over with to be able to purchase it. Nice. And so I took it over. And uh, you know what one of the first things I did was? I, I always play as the Brewers. Always. One of the very uh, first. You traded Corbin Burns? You traded Corbin Burns, traded Brandon Woodruff, traded Willie Adamas. Yeah. That was like basically my first order of business when I took over the team. And you know why I did that? Because it's a video to tank game. Tank your fan interest? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah it, it did. People were not happy with that. Turns out it, it made no? the fans mad. Yeah, they didn't like <laughs> even it. Even virtual fans you were unhappy? Yeah. yeah. Even though I, I'm like, I think I'm in August and I'm 12 games over 500, something like that. So I'm probably better than what I would have been had I not done it. So we'll, we will see. But uh, the point is, is that the reason I did that is because it's a video game. It's not real life. And I'm not trying to like, uh, besides trying not to get fired, which I don't actually care because I can just restart a new game. Um, I'm not trying to like, you know, build taxpayers out of $400 million. I'm not trying to uh, you know, keep people happy uh, and coming to the ballpark and keep the, the turnstiles uh, turning. Like I'm just playing uh, a game that doesn't really have consequence. So I am free to do that. But in reality, in the real world, yeah, this is one of those situations where based on where they were, based on all of the circumstances that exist right now, it just doesn't really make sense for them to like do that hard reboot, hard reset uh, that you would do if you had um, complete and utter freedom to not worry about the consequences of what that was going to mean. So, yeah, that you have the freedom to do those things because it's not real. But in the real world, there's constraints and you just can't. All right. Well, I guess speaking of things that aren't real, PJ Wassell's asking, uh, Mark A being on the relocation committee for the A's means nothing, right? 
also, do you want Winker or Hira to get more major league at bats for the rest of the season? So, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Brewers are kind of in this uh, negotiation phase for new stadium funding. So, uh, Paul, at least it's uh, interesting that the commissioner picked Mark Adonacio to head this committee on the A's relocation thing. We don't know who the other two owners are, but uh, kind of giving Mark A an inside look at the process, at least, has some people nervous. Yeah, it's practice. It is. Uh, it's not a ton, but it's negotiating, and it is, in fact, le- leverage. It's to get your attention. It's a shot across the bow. That is what it is. Mark Atanasio does not have to be on this at all, there, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be reported as it was as Mark Atanasio on the thing to move the team, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which which it was. So yes, that's what it is. It is. A, it is. It is a shot across the bow. That is 100% what it was. It doesn't really matter, but it matters a bit. And uh, I will happily take any at-bats from any player, not Jesse Winker, over Jesse Winker. And Keston Hira is a person, so that's fine with me. Um, okay, I'll, I'll come back to that second part in a minute. I We're basically on the same page here. It, I think it is a... I asked you the question, is this saber-rattling? Does this constitute saber-rattling? Because I wasn't even sure if it necessarily did. And it, like... It's it's saber rattling, but it's like doing it in such a way that like you're not even necessarily sure who's holding the the sword <laughs> because it's being done sort of off. This is the, like an, an escalating level of threat. You know, they brought in so far. I don't think Mark Atanasio or anybody affiliated with the Brewers has said the first thing about threatening to move the team. Right. So far, we've all. Yeah, we've no, just it's imputed. All speculation. Yes, it's all yeah. speculation. I would say that there are some reliable indicators that that may have been leaked or thrown out there to the conservative side of the media in Wisconsin from the team. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. That, and that would make sense. That would be how you would do that, right? You would, you would play that game that way, but they're also trying not to get their hands dirty still at this point. They're Mark Adonazi is out there, not out there saying, Hey, we're going to move the team. If you guys don't give us what we want that they're doing this in a much more subtle way at this point. And this is obviously how it starts. And this is, you, you go through like phases of this where you're, you're working your way up. Um, but I think what this is, is mostly that I think that Antonazio probably volunteered to be on it. Also, like he's been an owner now for, you know, almost 20 years. And, like I would assume at some point everybody has to kind of do this scut work because like what this is going to be, they put together a, 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 a basically a document that is going to say um, you should or should not approve owners should or should not approve this move by the Oakland athletics to Las Vegas. And this is why that's what the, this committee's purpose is. They're going to put together a document that nobody even the owners are going to read and it's basically going to say we should rubber stamp this thing. And this is why. And him being on that committee, like relatively means like very little. And, and the thing is when the other uh, owners who are on this committee get announced, like if, if Hal Steinbrenner ends up on the committee, do you think people are going to be like, (laughs) Oh, the Yankees are threatening to move. No, this is it's all relative to what the situation in Milwaukee is, right? So it's it's all sort of perceived. But to Paul's point, they know what the perceptions are. They know what people are thinking because they're kind of trying to craft that perception that the yeah, Brewers they might are, move. and they they reported it in such a way as to make that explicit. I think 
Yeah. Well, and the way it was it was sent to Rosenthal and then it was put out there that like none of the other information was there. It wasn't who else is going to be on the committee. It was just Mark Adonazio was going to head the committee. It had and the friends. De- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was it had the desired effect to get the attention of the people whose attention they wanted to get. Right? Like that's what this was. They didn't want it to get the attention of everybody, but they wanted to get the attention of certain people, and it definitely got the attention of certain people. And but in terms of escalation, this thing for for it to like if this is step two on the path to uh, the brewers potentially moving, um, there's like 150,000 steps coming after this, right? Like if step one was them putting the the stuff out there about uh, Mark Atanasio uh, wanting this money from the or Tony Evers putting in the budget that uh, that this money was going to go to the brewers, and I guess step two was the Rob Manfred press conference during the Dodger series, and this would be step three. Um, there are hundreds of steps that have to come after this before they would get anywhere near moving. So we're, we're so the beginning phases of this thing and chances are good. I think we, we all still feel right that this is going to get done and probably before things even get that escalated. Right. Yeah. It'll get done. Yeah. And yeah, this, this is just negotiating in the media. The thing that happens all the time. So, Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, kind of related to this, though, Jay Google has a question asking just how miserable are the marks sell the team people? So uh, kind of miserable. Jump- They're <laughs> optimists. They believe that there are billionaires out there who will run the team and spend freely and keep the team in Milwaukee and and who really love baseball. Like that's that's very I, I like it. It's very earnest. Uh, those people I wish are, I had that optimism. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I disagree with the premise, Jay. Sorry. Actually, yeah, that's a really good way of putting that. It is optimistic to think that Mark would sell the team and that what you would get would be better than Mark. Um, and we've talked so much about this in, yep. over the last year. We don't need to belabor it. But, like, yeah, for a lot of reasons, I think that that's almost certainly wish casting, that you're, you're not going to end up with a better ownership situation if you somehow achieve the goal of getting Mark to sell the team. I think it's probably going to get worse, not better. I mean, Jimmy Haslam could buy a chair in another team, right? So there's that. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on. Let's go to uh, you're either a smart fella or a fart smella asking uh, more of a meta question of opinion or taste, but the Stearns-Arnold era of the Brewers clearly want to employ a run prevention approach to win games, i.e. pitching and defense, as the strengths carrying a uh, more pieced together money ball offense, which seems to contrast with how the Melvin teams tended to operate. Offense frequently slugged with the best of them, but the pitching often unraveled and they couldn't develop starting pitchers if their lives depended on it. On one hand, the Stearns-Arnold approach has undeniably led to more sustained success. On the other, I have accepted that I think they're also less fun and more frustrating to watch than were the Melvin teams, 2018 notwithstanding. Perhaps winning is all it takes. Is it just the lack of high-end star power making it less fun? Is good offense more fun to watch than good run prevention? Is it higher expectations, i.e. premeditated resentments not being met? I am curious as to what you guys prefer between the two and generally think regarding the team's fun factor and enjoyability to watch. Um, I will say I wholeheartedly agree that this may be more effective, but man, is it soul sucking to watch. And I had a lot more fun watching Prince Fielder and Ryan Braun mash home runs in nine to eight Brewers losses. What say you guys? I'm with you. Be cool. Hit dingers. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. I don't care that it middlingly works at all. And also, just philosophically, it, I would rather have the development focused on my hitters who are much more likely to stay healthy and uh, have nice careers versus pitchers who are much more likely to have their elbows randomly explode for no reason. So um, I, I also like that better as a development philosophy. And yes, this can work and it works kind of. But yeah, this this is boring and crappy, too. Well, I wonder how much of it is the game has changed a lot since then, because like last year, everybody thought the offense was miserable and soul sucking to watch. And they were third in the league in home runs. Yeah. Sure. They yes. also struck out eight billion times, and I and I know that they still strike out eight billion times, but man, it it, it was a lot to deal with. But again, it's a league thing, right? But yeah. I think, yeah, I think that part of it is contextual, and I'm like, my point is that I don't know. Did the Brewers ever get to third in home runs under the, in the Braun Fielder weeks era? Probably, right? They had to have. I feel I, like they led the league at some point. Yeah, probably. They, I'm, I'm they not had to have, anyway. right? Like it, they were so built around power at that point, and yeah. Um, and yes, it was fun. I will always love those teams and I will always like, yeah, adore that uh, that time period. But it was so frustrating. The pitching part of it, just never being able to get like competent guys and then to have to go out and give away good young players time after time after time to get that pitching, which you could only ever get as a rental. Right. You could only get it. You couldn't get CC Sabathia for like four years you could get cc sabathia for half a season you could get zach Grinky for a season and a half right like you were always renting it short term and so that came with its own sets of frustrations um that were really really you know difficult to do and i think like i i think a lot of this is more contextual like i was saying like it really is like in 2022 everybody was miserable and thought it was awful and yet they were third in home runs so i don't think that it's necessarily that I think it's I don't know I think it's the the raised more than anything I think what the raised expectations of the beginning of the Stearns Arnold tenure and like the 2018 revelation the fact they went back to the playoffs again in 2019 and then you know had that great season in 2021 where the pitching was just otherworldly and you had a Cy Young winner a homegrown Cy Young winner and Corbin Burns which you felt like we'd been waiting for all of our lives and it, he wasn't the only guy there were a bunch of other guys that all felt like it was this sea change in how the team was running things everybody loved it but then yeah it, like to Paul's point it is harder to sustain pitching it really is like you can have hitters will have longer careers longer primes in general than most pitchers uh, unless you just get really, really lucky and find, you know, the the Justin Verlander of the group. And that guy, you know, there aren't many of those guys out there. It's much more reliable to get the hitters. But, yeah, I think it's this is more contextual than it is anything else. Um, I would say more than anything, I do like having like having a lot of pitching to be able to draw on to have like lots of different guys and lots of different ways that that can go. Um is really nice and it does give you sort of a, a floor to work with that I do enjoy as a fan going into seasons. Um, but I don't know necessarily which that's, eh, it's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a toss up. I I guess I just I think back about those Melvin years and how frustrating the pitching part of it was where every time you seem to get something it you would lose the guy or it just it it wasn't a long-term strategy 
Uh, and like the only guy they developed in that entire time period was Giovanni Gallardo. And then even he like didn't have as long a prime as like I think we thought he might. He you know he was right. basically washed by what 2014. And thanks, would, Reed yeah. Johnson. <laughs> yeah so i mean yeah he threw a lot of innings and he was basically done by the age of 28 right like that was that was it for him yeah so, yeah i get it yeah i get it and watching Braden looper and and those guys are are oh. not fun either but <laughs> but yeah. i don't know man yeah it i just have more fun with offense but that's it may just depend on your flavor as a fan right so all right, uh, moving on, we've got Morgoth10 with our next question this week. Uh, talking about the uh, Joey Weimer mullet uh, revolution, I guess, in, in <laughs> Milwaukee. They were actually giving out free mullets uh, <laughs> the other day, and then Joey so, Weimer so had proud. a run. Yeah, uh, very uh, Wisconsin of us. Um, they're, they're your typical rural Wisconsin high school football team now. Uh, but basically, the question was posed. Uh both on uh, Brewers circles and by Morgoth 10 here. Uh, if the Brewers were, if you were on the Brewers roster, I should say, and they made the playoffs, would you join the mullet crew with some people saying, uh, yeah, it, on the team, if, if the Brewers make the playoffs, they'll get a mullet. Uh, Ryan, I think you're the only one of us three who can grow a mullet so would you <laughs> so if i had been a few more beers deep in yesterday and joey weimer had had like the joey weimer game from the orioles series uh i might have actually gone over and done it just because it would have maybe been... would have been thrilled i could only imagine her reaction it would have been one of those things where it lasted about two minutes uh i i did it i got the picture taken um, I, I did not. Um, I did not do it. Uh, but it, like, I, it was a passing thought. If Joey Weimer had been having a really great game, just for the laughs, I probably would have gone over and done it and then gone and gotten a haircut the next day and had them basically <laughs> shave it off and just, okay, now I have my summer cut for the year and whatever. It's fine. Um, but yeah, like I, it, was, it was a fleeting thought in my head that, oh, it would be funny to do that. Uh, cause I do have, uh, my hair is long enough at the moment that I could like pull off like a, like starter mullet, um, at least. So, yeah, I I'm not doing it and I can't <laughs> do it. So, yeah, I was like, damn, Ryan, to, to have the luxury of being able to fancy <laughs> the thought of a momentary mullet, man, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like, but so uh, there are definitely be... pictures of me as like a nine-year-old with a mullet running around in 1988 and uh of course yeah like you grew I, up in wisconsin yeah definitely definitely so, yeah but re really quick before we move on um of the top 10 home run seasons in franchise history um the 2022 season where they hit 219 home runs in third in the league has the lowest slugging percentage out of any of those seasons at 409 by kind of a lot <laughs> well yeah because <laughs> the batting average was weird. low yeah but but uh, that that does that does matter. It goes to the still kind of you know not fun offense, even though they hit a lot of home runs. Sure, I'm just saying that it's more go. than just about home runs, though, because like people were miserable last year and they were third in home runs. So yeah, but they're slugging. They're slugging sucked. <laughs> I guess right, but yeah, but being being happy about the offense is more than just about hey, hitting home runs, right? Like it's there's more yeah. to it, which is your point, right? That yeah. it's yes, about it more is. than just hitting home runs. So 
which kind of the question was talking about, like those teams were great because everybody was hitting dingers and it was great. And so it's yeah, it's not just that. All right. Let's wrap things up this week uh, with a question from My Only Lemonade and uh, specifically requested by Steve Garshinsky in case we didn't get this question. <laughs> uh, it was it was golf night this week, uh, ex-golf night or whatever you want to call it. And I, I think those of you who listen know how we all feel about the uh, foray into ex-golf. But uh, My Only Lemonade's question here. Uh, as asking, I'm completely baffled by the golf night page for Anik. What weirdness? A quick scan of her social media reveals that she's basically a thirst trap for men of a certain age. I know that this is a mostly a way to advertise the, the X-Golf nonsense, but how in the world did she end up with a bobblehead? Also, is the X-Golf thing really actually being used by fans? I hear next to nothing about it. According to the website, every time slot is available for both games this weekend. <laughs> uh, so... Paul, I know you dibs this one. I wanna, I wanna be sure that you know, like, I'm not holding Paige Spranick, uh for responsible for any of this. She is paid to do her job. She does her job very well. Uh, it's more the ickiness surrounding uh, the people who are organizing this, right? Yeah. So to start off there, like, um, she's not really harming anybody. There, there. There are a lot of professions we may compare this one to. But in this case, Paige Spranick's not being exploited. She's very in charge of her career. And there's clearly a market for what she does. And, you know, everybody, I think this whole relationship is on the up and up. Nobody's being deceived or anything like that. So fine. Like, fine, whatever. Like, um, this this sort of thing has existed forever since pinup days. Mm -hmm. And it is to a large extent the reason Playboy had articles is the reason Paige Sporanek has golf. Um, mm -hmm. And it gives you plausible deniability for what's being sold here. All fine. No one's being hurt by this. My, my entire problem with this is uh, this is a major league baseball team we're talking about here. Uh, they don't have anything to do with golf. They have a golf simulator in their stadium. Um, we, we, we being one of my DMs, did some research, looked at a website this week. This is unprecedented. There has not been a bobblehead before that is purely this kind of marketing. The closest thing was that there was a Miller Lite just bottle bobblehead in the past, but even that is tangentially related to the team because it was the Brewers in Miller Park. So this is the first time this has happened, and um, this is this is milkman shit. Like this is. Um, uh, Jose Canseco Cowtown barnstorming tour of minor league team garbage, and uh, it it shouldn't be worming its way into a major league baseball game. It, it's a uh, it's frankly beneath it, and it's bizarre. It, it's so, so it's not related to anything. And it, the reason it got in here is because X Golf's in the stadium, and she works for them. That's how it got in there. It's sponsorship stuff, but it, it's it, it's kind of creepy and weird if you you know are bringing kids to the stadium that day it's a weird thing to have to explain <laughs> uh, <laughs> or to your wife a, paul it's or a weird to your thing wife. to explain to your wife <laughs> yeah it, it, who is this person oh they're a golf person are they good no they're not good uh why do you have it uh, never mind um but like that's that is the explicit upfront reason here of how this whole thing happened ex golf employs a former golfer who's not very good who's a model trying to promote their simulator in the stadium and they managed to weasel a bobblehead into as a promotional giveaway into a game. And the Brewers seem to care way too much about X-Golf. Yeah, so clearly 
one thing I'll 100% agree with you on here, first off, is it all feels very minor league. This feels like the kind of thing that gets given away at a minor league game for the Timber Rattlers. Like, this is not, this does not feel big league. This feels very minor league. So that is, that is thing one, you're 100% right about that. Um, the other thing is somebody really should have done a better job when they were coming up with the contract because I can't imagine that any of this wasn't like called for in their original contract that they did. And so the fact that they like somebody drew this up in the contract, <laughs> uh, somebody should have done a much better job of figuring out that this was going to be a, a really bad look and that they shouldn't do it and they should have stopped it before it it got to this point. Well, somebody should have, but a lot of the Brewers front office is the the key demographic here specifically. Like that's part of the problem sure. here too. Rich white guys. Yeah, it, that might be part of the issue here, or it's also just like, hey, we're looking to make money in any way, shape, or form that we can. And like one of the things here is the, the dumbest thing about this, or I guess X-Golf wants to do these promotions, and they probably paid extra to get this stuff and, and gave consideration so that they could get these things like this weird giveaway and all of this, all these mentions on every broadcast and all this kind of stuff. Clearly, that's in a contract somewhere. The funniest part of it is just like summer in Wisconsin is not the time to have a golf simulator. That's winter in Wisconsin, <laughs> right? Like there's an, in, there's an incongruity here. Like, of course, nobody is like using the golf simulator on uh, the weekend of in June. Like, why the hell would anybody go to a golf simulator at uh, outside of their own home? Like I could see if you had it in your own home, I know. A person who has a golf simulator in their home and yeah fine you like you you own the thing it's in your house why the hell would anybody do that in wisconsin would you just go to a golf course that's like nice and outside on a beautiful summer day here like it makes that part of it makes no functional sense whatsoever and so really what this is more than anything is a way to get people into the park and utilize the park in the winter months when there isn't baseball there yeah but right. the contract obviously calls for it to be promoted during the baseball season. So you get this weird incongruous or incongruous like thing where they're promoting this thing, which he, I'm going to take him at his word here that, you know, nobody was going to this thing this weekend because, of course, why the hell would they? There's no purpose to do it in the summer. Over the winter, it might make more sense if you're an avid golfer and want to go do uh, the golf simulators because those are. You know, they're really good now. I've used one before and they they are pretty cool. Um, and if you're into golf, I could see wanting to do that in the the long, cold Wisconsin winter. But in the summer, just what the hell? Yeah, I don't know. It, to me, it just seems like a thing where it's like an added perk for the players almost too with all the video they show of the, oh, the, the guys went up and used the X-Golf today before the game. Cool. Or, you know, it, it's also very... Uh, obviously to like a a pitch to maybe the uh more wealthy sponsors or you know it's a thing that you use to woo potential sponsors to the team too right like you organize a meeting there and it's a perk that you sell as part of that too right so i mean that's part of it i i seriously doubt it's frankly built for folks like you and me you know it, it's mostly for the the wealthier people that they're trying to attract to the team right yeah, I have to imagine that that's all part of it. It's yeah. it's just a weird thing. And like their timing also, if they were doing this back in 2018 when everything was going well and whatever, uh, it would get so much less attention and people would laugh at it. It would be like this funny thing in a way that now it like draws derisive scorn. And if it was <laughs> happening like when people were happier with the team, 
Uh, I think that the attitude towards it would just be like, well, that's a really stupid thing they're doing. But people would like laugh it off more readily than they do right now just because people are mad at the team. So this is another reason to just be like mad at the team. Right. Like it's so there's like a contextual part of this, too, where it like it's not just about the actual thing. It's about all the surroundings of it. You can't take it out of its context. Yep. Last thing before we get out of here is there's a bunch of conservative idiots who whenever Pride Month rolls around uh, will go out of their way to make it a sexual thing when it is not explicitly one and it is about recognizing past discrimination and things of that nature. And then something like this rolls around that is explicitly sexual in your face and not a comment from the exact same people. It is totally just looked past. So um, just something to keep in mind next time this happens funny how that works Mm -hmm. all right thanks for all the questions this week everyone as a reminder if you sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month you get question priority every week we will answer it here guaranteed on the show even if you're not a patron you can support us in another way go to apple Podcasts, spotify wherever else you're listening to us right now give us a five-star review tell your friends about us uh share share the knowledge of this podcast uh and, and other brewer fans and your friends, family, that kind of thing. While you're there, please do hit subscribe while you're uh, on that page or the follow button, whatever they call it there. Make sure you never miss an episode. You'll get the push alerts there. Uh, I think that'll do it for this week. So uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, brewers have maybe turned a quarter with that sweep of the the pirates. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they had eight. We'll see. They can also go and get swept and lose five. This time for sure. Again. This time for sure. It'll work. Right? I don't know. The eighth inning felt cathartic today. They finally came back to tie a game when they were down by two runs for the first time in more than a month. So, you know, maybe they got a few monkeys off their back this week. But uh, regardless of what happens, we'll be back here next week to talk all about it. Thank you for listening, everyone. Hope you have a good week. Uh, thank you for listening to Milwaukee's Tailgate.